1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Senator John Cornyn from the great state of Texas. Good morning, Senator. How are you? Morning, Hugh. Good to be with you. Are you still a member of the Intel Committee, Senator? I am. I am. Well, that gives us, like, the perfect guess for this morning to talk about the appointment of Rick Grinnell as the Acting Director of National Intelligence, as well as this fiasco in the House Intel Committee. Let's start with Ambassador Grinnell. How do you assess his qualifications to become the acting DNI, Senator Cornyn?
0: Well, as I understand it, Hugh, it's an interim appointment, and uh, because Joe McGuire's acting status had timed out, so... Uh, and I hear the president has four candidates that he's going to propose for a permanent director. But I, I suppose, you know, ambassadors get uh, security clearances, and I don't really know Mr. Grinnell personally, but um, I'm not too worried that uh, about the the, uh, as the Office of National Intelligence in a, on an interim basis, let me put it that way.
1: You know, I've known him for a long time, I mean a very long time, more than a, a decade, and I know he spent Ten years in the State Department, both at Germany and the U.N. He was on the Security Council for a period of time in 2004 when we needed someone appointed to that. He's written hundreds and hundreds of articles on national security affairs, just did the Kosovo-Serbia deal. He's a Russia hawk, uh, and he's got all the clearances. I do not understand why Democrats are melting down over this, other than the fact that he is a Trump loyalist, Senator Cornyn.
0: Well, that that explains a lot. But and uh, thanks for that background. That makes me feel better about his interim appointment. But you know, I think anything that happens in Washington, uh, whether it's a Trump tweet or whether it's a story like this, the Democrats' heads explode, and uh, then we go you know down another rabbit hole. Um, I'm not too worried about it. I think uh, I think the intelligence community will survive. We'll continue to do the appropriate oversight in the Senate Intelligence Committee which isn't as partisan as the House Intelligence Committee is and if we see something uh, something wrong we'll uh, we'll call them on it. Last
1: night Jeremy Diamond, Jake Tapper and Zachary Cohen put out a story at 5:52 p.m. Eastern Time which is a big story. US Intelligence Briefer appears to have overstated assessment of the 2020 Russian interference. According to the headline, it begins, The U.S. intelligence community's top election security official appears to have overstated the intel community's formal assessment of Russian interference in the 2020 election, omitting important nuance during a briefing with lawmakers earlier this month. Three national security officials told CNN. The official, Shelby Pearson, told lawmakers on the House Intelligence Committee that Russia is interfering in the 2020 election with the goal of helping President Donald Trump get reelected. The story continues. The U.S. Intelligence Committee has assessed that Russia is interfering in the 2020 election and has separately assessed that Russia views Trump as a leader they can work with. But the U.S. does not have evidence that Russia's interference this cycle is aimed at reelecting Trump. The official said, quote, The intelligence doesn't say that, one senior national security official told CNN. Quote, a more reasonable interpretation of the intelligence is not that they have a preference. It's a step short of that. It's more that they understand that the president is someone they can work with. He's a deal maker. Well, what a lot of good that does a Senator Corner after we have two days full of innuendo that Russia's out working to elect Donald
0: Trump again. Well, it's the same old bad movie that we saw following the 2016 election. I, I, I've been in all of the... Uh, Uh, classified briefings that we've had on the 2016 election and uh, the 2018 midterms and the run-up here to 2020, Uh, I think the administration and the intelligence community in particular is on top of this in a way that they were not under the Obama administration in 2016. We have to remember that part of the problem in 2016 was the Obama administration knew the Russians were were engaged in active measures trying to divide us and cause chaos and dissension, uh, but didn't do anything about it until after the election when the formal intelligence community assessment came out. I think Mr. Durham is looking into that, and the basis for that, and I expect we'll hear more later.
1: Now, let's switch over, if we can, to coronavirus. Has the Intel Committee received any kind of briefing on the rapidity of the spread of the virus? Yes, we have. What's your level of concern?
0: Well, I was down at, uh, in San Antonio this last week where some of the um, some of the folks who are being held in, in quarantine, Americans that have been repatriated from mainland China, are being uh, held. Uh, my impression is the administration uh, and particularly Health and Human Services is doing a good job working with the military and the public health service to make sure that people who have been exposed but are, who are not yet symptomatic are quarantined for at least 14 days so that uh, uh, the risk is uh, basically dissolves after that, at least for them personally. And if they're symptomatic, then they're medically evacuated to specialized facilities around the country. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the plan that, uh, that uh, HHS and the administration has in place. Other countries, it looks like, have not taken this as seriously, and it looks like uh, over in Europe and um, South Korea that uh, they've got a problem.
1: Now, now, Senator, I uh, just finished rereading The Great Influenza by John Barry, and the lesson I take away from the 1918 experience is that governments tend to serially underreact for fear of overreaction, and therefore, there is not enough information. I don't actually believe the administration is doing enough, and I like Secretary Azar a lot, and of course, I think the, the president can do more via his Twitter feed, et etc., did the Intel Committee get feedback opportunities? Because if I were the administration, I would be pounding the drum every minute with all the information that's out there so that the American people have confidence that the entire story is being told every day, repeatedly, through many uh, forums.
0: Well, I, I think they, they are, at least in their briefings of uh, of the Senate Intelligence Committee and, and the Congress, uh, whether it's enough for the public, generally, I'm not, I'm not as confident of that. But I do know the big part of the problem is that China is not sharing information. They obviously don't want to be embarrassed by this. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's a real big problem, not only in China, but with people who have visited China and now are returning back home all over the world. I think my impression is we're doing a, a better job than the rest of the rest of the world. But whether it's good enough, only time will tell.
1: Well, you know, and that's that's where it comes back to the, the Senate, maybe helping the administration move it along. You're getting the briefings. But I when I see stories pop up that Italy's got eight new dead and Iran, who knows what those people have got? They won't tell us the truth. China won't tell us the truth that that's why the market's going to open up 700 points down today. I mean, it's yeah. going to be a bloody day on Wall Street. And the only way to stop that
0: is more information, not less. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard for people to know if you're if you're a, a uh, just a regular working person in America to know uh, whether the source of the information you have is valid or not. I mean that that pervades our our whole uh, society now. Uh, just people with uh, no real knowledge, but uh, w- willing to make a statement and mislead people, inadvertently or inadvertently. So it it, it maybe maybe there is a a, a a important more important role for the government to come out with official information that people at least can uh, have some more confidence in.
1: Yeah, I would I I'm going to write something for the post about flooding the zone. Let me turn to your friend Bernie Sanders. I say that because I, everyone I, in the sen- in the Senate refers to their friends across the aisle. You've been in the Senate a long time. Bernie's been in the Senate a long time. He looks like the
0: presumptive nominee. Are you surprised? Well, I am a little bit surprised that uh that Democrats would uh, would unite in in re-electing President Trump, which is what I think the consequence of that would be. Uh, Bernie Sanders is an authentic guy. I mean, he believes what he says, which actually makes him scarier to me. Uh, But, you know, this country is not ready to elect a socialist. Certainly in Texas, we're not going to vote for a socialist. And maybe that's what we need is a good old-fashioned campaign and and a debate about the merits of the free enterprise system and the prosperity and security it's yielded versus uh, failed failed uh, ideologies like socialism.
1: Well, that's exactly why I voted for Bernie in the open primary in Virginia. <laughs> I I got to vote early absentee because I won't be here on 3-3. So I got my vote and I voted for Bernie because I just want a clear knockdown battle between free enterprise and socialism. I think we win that. But – Democrats don't seem to have any plan to do other than nominate him. You've watched a lot of election cycles. I think he's even going to win the Texas primary, Senator, and I think it's an open primary, and we might find more Hugh Hewitts down there voting for Bernie.
0: Well, he is leading according to the current polls, and he's coming with some momentum out of Nevada and uh, and obviously Iowa and and New Hampshire. Uh, he could well win win the the primary, but I don't know what that says about uh, Democrats who voted for one of the other candidates who will probably stay home, uh, or won't support Bernie, may end up supporting Trump as, as uh, from their perspective, the lesser of two evils. Um, so I think uh, this portends well for uh, Trump's reelection and for our success keeping Texas a red state.
1: What does Bernie, uh, what does he like to work with? Have you done any legislation with him? I can't imagine it, but have you done anything with him?
0: I don't, Bernie doesn't actually do legislation very much. He, uh, you know, He's on the budget committee, and usually he's against anything that uh, uh, that Chairman Enzi and and, uh, the Republicans propose there. He has done some work. I have to give him some credit on veterans issues, working with Johnny Isaacson, the late great uh, chairman of the the Veterans Committee. But beyond that, uh, Bernie doesn't seem to be in the Senate to actually do much legislation. It's uh, obviously a platform for his uh, higher aspirations.
1: And and he seems to have successfully seized the Democratic Party. Last question, Senator, in Texas, where the primary is Super Tuesday, does he have the lead among Democrats? Is that what you're? I heard you say.
0: That's what the that's what the polling that I've seen says, uh, and uh, it looks like the cohort of people turning out to vote, at least in early voting, uh, which ends February the 28th, are uh, heavily weighted toward younger people, which uh, seems to be his core support group.
1: You know, it's just remarkable to me that the Democratic Party has gone this far to the left. Not surprising, but remarkable. Senator John Cornyn, always a pleasure to speak with you, your re-election campaign. What's the website, Senator? JohnCornyn.com. I love the fact. It's it's easy. JohnCornyn.com. Go over there and get that one. We need to get John Cornyn back to the Senate, especially on the Judiciary Committee. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. The point of diversity in the marketplace should be for people with different points of view to contribute different things to the business. But ideologues today typically use diversity as little more than a code word for identity politics. They don't care about genuine diversity, diversity that would include different points of view, different worldviews. In truth, they really just want progressives from various identity groups. According to a new study by the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation, this thinking is now dominant in the corporate world. Among Fortune 100 companies, protected categories such as race and gender were emphasized by corporations over religion by a factor of 34 to 1. Corporations love to talk about diversity and inclusivity, but their concern is really only skin deep. It's time to go deeper and add religious and viewpoint diversity
0: to America's largest companies. I'm Jerry Boyer. Sponsored by ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom.